Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I'm delighted to be speaking with Rob Decker, who is a husband, father, personal trainer and health coach, who joins us today to share his, I think, remarkable testimony of coming to faith in God, following a failed attempt to take his own life. And as he says, his objective is to share the story of his failed suicide attempt that led to a living relationship with God in order to give hope and encouragement to people who have had similar battles. After suffering many years of anger and confusion, which he fed with drugs, alcohol and bad relationships, Rob eventually reached a crisis point from which there seemed to be no escape. But as he testifies, God was there even at that moment of crisis to transform all of that hopelessness into a very different story, one of forgiveness, understanding and love. Rob, thank you very much indeed for joining us on The Mind Renewed. Well, thank you for having me, Julian. And I must say, I need you to narrate my whole life. <laughs> I would be very grateful, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, this is very kind of you. It's the uh, being brought up here with the BBC. Right, right. We were coached from a very early age to speak in this, this ridiculous way, but, uh, but you're very kind. Anyway, thanks very much for getting in touch. Now, how did you find out about TMR, actually, The Mind Renewed? You know, I was just looking for resources that I could um, – share my story in, in places that like I could feed off of as well and learn from. So, you know, it was through uh, Facebook, actually, uh, that I was able right. to locate you. Well, as a consequence of that, I went through and read your interview over yes. at Christian Broadcasting Network. Yes. And um, I was impressed by that, actually. And uh, I'm intrigued to find out a bit more than is included in that particular write-up and to uh, share it with listeners. I'm sure we'll be very interested. So let's start right at the beginning, uh, the obvious place to start, but uh, why not? Um, <laughs> could you say something about your childhood? What was that like? Um, you know, I always like to start with the story of my mother, um, because I really believe this goes even before my birth. And, you know, my, my mother brought me into this world, uh, because she came from a pretty rough and devastating background where she was afflicted and, and my mom was raped and beaten and tormented. And she was the oldest of all of her kids. And, um, she hooked up with the neighbor and, and, and here I am. Um, there was many requests to have me um, aborted uh, early on. And it's just not something that my mom wanted to do. My mom wanted to bring me in the world so that she had somebody to love and someone that would love her back. And uh, I completely understand that. I, I totally get that. So from the very beginning, it's like my back was against the wall, even if it was in the womb. Uh, growing up, I think I was about six months old and my mom met my stepfather and they had a child, my sister, and then they got married. You know, growing up in my house was a little challenging because my sister was his daughter. So there was always like a sense of favoritism. And I remember coming home from kindergarten one day and I had a certificate that had my stepdad's last name on it. And from this point, I'm going to refer to him as my father because that's who he was. Okay. Um, I came home and his last name was on my, on the certificate of graduation. And, you know, it turns out his mother, my grandmother was not okay with that, said that I wasn't blood and I wasn't um, part of their family like that. So I was forced to take my mom's maiden name, which was perfectly fine with me because in the end, it was better. It was a better last name anyway. So um, well, there was a sense of rejection in that experience. 
For sure. You know, it's funny because it's almost like I remember my first God experience and all that stuff. Because I remember when they told me and I was walking down the street and I can't tell you where I got this. And, you know, it's beyond me. But I was walking down the street right afterwards to go to a friend's house. And uh, I just get this sense like, you know what, it doesn't matter because God's my father. And that was kind of my first God, you know, kind of moment. And that's not something that was really talked about in my family. We, no one really talked about God at all. So however that came to me is however it came to me. But, you know, throughout my childhood, um, you know, I would just witness my parents arguing and fighting a lot. And, you know, they were just two separate entities. You know, my mom was always very lenient and kicked back and there were no rules with her where my dad was more of this militant dictator almost. Uh, he was a hardworking man and, you know, they just had two different views on, on raising children. They came from two completely different places. And, um, you know, as I was getting older, I was really drawn to sports and that's kind of where I drew up all my idols and all the guys that I looked up to. And, you know, as time went on, I continued to pursue playing sports and, when I got into high school, the chaos in my house was so intense that, you know, my mom just didn't want me home anymore. She was just like, you go and be out and you go do your thing. I just can't have you at home because it was very intense between me and my father. He was very, very hard on me, pushed me really hard. He, he struggled to lift me up. It was more about everything that I was doing wrong and what I could be doing better. And, mm. you know, it was just a constant uh, beat down. So but wait, wait, mom wait, didn't really want me. Were you conscious of any love coming from them at all? Was there a love there that was sort of suppressed by the bad relationship that was going on? Well, you know, I never sensed love, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't re ever recall you know, really feeling loved, right? Um, hmm. There was just so much going on in the house with all the drugs and the alcohol and the bickering. And I don't remember it. I don't recall it. Maybe I blocked it out. I don't know. Okay. But uh, mm -hmm. I don't recall that. And as I'm, you know, trying to develop into this young man, I remember my best friend's family actually wanted to adopt me. They saw this kid with a bunch of potential it wasn't bad. You know, I was just kind of a product of my environment and my parents kind of shut all that stuff down too. And, and then I started getting into a lot of trouble. I ended up going to juvenile hall and get caught for stealing. And I got this armed robbery charge. Yeah. You know, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time type situation, but because of my prior troubles, this stuff just kept stacking. I was drinking, I was smoking weed. I was dabbling in mushrooms and, and acid and, you know, I was starting to really try to escape from all this stuff. I never graduated high school. My parents could care less whether or not, you know, I finished school. That wasn't a concern for them, right? Wow. I didn't care. They didn't care, right? You've already mentioned God in this, but you say you don't know where that sense of God came from. Um, no. When you were getting into all this drinking and, and taking your drugs and things, were you, did you have any consciousness of God being with you at all? Well, yeah, but I had my own kind of interpretation of him right it wasn't anything that i read or yeah. or anything that i listened to or I, a church that i went to it was more of like well you know god is god and i'm going to do what i do and that's what we do that's the relationship that we have and and um the distant things like the creator and that's it sort of thing. yeah yeah you know i had no I, I didn't have a relationship at that point with him right mm. so my 20s get here and i'm kind of bouncing job from job. I had some pretty awesome jobs and I took advantage of them. I was heavily, you know, into the drugs and into the alcohol at this point. And, you know, there would be days where I just wouldn't go to bed at night and I'd go to work the next day and I'd probably reek like alcohol, you know, 
but I was able to carry that on for a while because I was such a young guy. You can just kind of power through all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you were doing this fitness training, yeah, which seems contradictory to everything that you've just said. But <laughs> but here's the thing: you would think so, but for some reason, it was balancing me out in a sense. Like, you know, I was able to work out and, and present this image and, and this lifestyle and, and have this look where people were just like. Man, this guy's got it going on and he's doing well. And, <laughs> right. you know, but at nighttime, here came the drugs and the alcohol. And, you know, it was a constant uh, battle. But, you know, in my 20s, now I'm starting to do things like cocaine, right? Because now I can, yeah. you know, party all night and then kind of start dabbling in the cocaine and all that kind of stuff. And that will keep me going. And so, you know, eventually it wasn't enough for me that I needed to go seek more. And I was just going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. Um, mm. And eventually what happened was, is I got into this place where I trashed a bunch of good relationships. I had some great relationships, met some really amazing women and completely destroyed those relationships and, and hurt some really good people. And I finally met what I would consider my match, I guess. I met a young lady who was just as dysfunctional as myself. And, you know, we started dating and we started having problems and we had to break up. Mm. It just was not going to work. So this is when you were around 30 years old. Is that right? 29. 29. 29. Yes. And it should have been the, so, the romantic solution kind of thing to all your problems. But it wasn't. <laughs> absolutely not. You know, it, it's funny because you, a lot of times relationships and people can be an escape from your reality. I mean, People find distractions and a lot of times those distractions come in the form of a relationship. And I think that's just one of those things. Like I found this distraction. I wasn't working. I was drinking, using. I didn't have my license, didn't have a lot going on in my life outside of the fitness stuff. And which itself was a distraction. Presumably you admit well, that. Fitness was a huge distraction. You're talking about the relationship yeah. or fitness? Well, both. Did one <laughs> did one take the place of the other, or did you keep both of those distractions going? Well, you know, fitness was always – because for me, with all the pent-up anger and, and hurt in my life, fitness was an escape for me. I became very strong in the gym because I was very aggressive, right? Yeah. You know, I was able to channel that hurt and that anger behind the weights. And plus, it gave me an opportunity to showcase something, right? Because I think when you're growing up without the attention and you're starving for that attention and, you know, you're getting it from other people and these women, you know, you're also doing it in the fitness realm, right? Like I'm starving for attention. So, you know, if I look good with my shirt off, like that gets attention, you know, attention's attention, whether it be positive or negative, like whatever someone's motives are or desires to be in your life like it doesn't matter because it's attention right mm -hmm. so you know i get to this place with this young lady where we have this major falling out we're done i find out go ahead you're about to ask something i'm just wondering why you got into this particular relationship in the first place i mean you say it was very very destructive oh, so it was so off limits <laughs> from the beginning yeah did it start that way well you know i was actually seeing somebody else when I met this young lady. Mm. It was all wrong. Everything about it was wrong. And I knew that it was wrong. I was actually selling drugs at the time when I met this young lady uh -huh. and she worked for a bank and I was cashing a check and I had happened to be dating this other girl whose car I was driving to the bank to cash this drug money check, right? Like oh, right. It, it was just yeah. right like this is <laughs> this is a script for a movie this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it only gets better. If you have about okay. 4 days of recording to do, I got you, bud. <laughs> so I can't give you a contract. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, pro bono, bud. Um you know, but this was the lifestyle that I lived. Even like the first time her and I hung out, it was all about the drinking and the partying and all that kind of stuff. So, and I kept this other other girl on the side while I was dating. It was like, 
everything about my life was just wrong and just it didn't make sense and and um you know the second run with this young lady you know she had fallen off into a dark path after we had broken up she actually got into escorting you know she was selling her body as a good and i found out about it and for whatever reason i decided to make a grand entrance back into her life and be like yo you you can't be doing this to yourself like here i am a guy that putting coke up my nose and alcohol down my throat and <laughs> not doing anything with my life but you need to make some changes young lady <laughs> and so you know we start seeing each other again like she's doing her thing you know things are starting to pick up she's getting rid of all these guys that you know are paying her for her goods and there was this one final date or client that she was supposed to go on vacation with and she does that and while she's over there She's reaching out to me and she's apologizing for all the stuff that had previously happened in our relationship. She's sending me pictures of black and blue eyes, you know, telling me how this guy's forcing himself all over her. So like, I know that she's over here getting raped and eaten and stuff like that. And so when she gets back from this trip, she comes to pick me up at my buddy's house and we head to the liquor store, pick up some alcohol back to her house. We get into a conversation. There's like a lot of apologizing, all this stuff. And then Things are supposed to get intimate. Well, due to what had just happened to her while she was on vacation or on this trip and my own junk, it was just not something that was feasible. It just wasn't something I could muster up in that moment. You know, and she took it as rejection. Like, I think that she came to the situation thinking that here I was going to be totally open armed and supporting everything. And then that's not exactly what happened. It was just another form of rejection for her, right? Mm. And we got into an argument and I went downstairs to just sleep it off. And my eyes opened to the banging of a, on the door and it's the police department in there. Scream out my name, you know, Robert Decker, we know you're in there. Open up. And I'm just like, Whew, what is going on? Like I'm full of adrenaline. And she comes downstairs and I ask her what happened and or what was going on. And she looked at me and she told me that she told the police that I tried to kill her and that I raped her. And in that moment, I was completely just broken and baffled. But at the same time, I was like, you know, this is it. This is that moment in my life. This is the perfect storm of events where it's just over. I can't do this anymore. My life makes no sense. There's no hope. There's nothing for me here. And I looked at her and I said, I'm done. And I turned around and I ran headfirst out of a closed window with all intentions of killing myself. I'm like, this is it. And here's the crazy part. I wasn't scared. I was like accepting of the fact that it was over for me. I'm done. I'm done. I, I can't do it. You know, so I jumped headfirst out of the window and I woke up on the ground. So this wasn't a call for help or anything like that. This was the end as far as you're concerned. Yeah. There are loads of things I actually want to ask you about that experience right. of, of, you say, waking up on the ground and looking up at where you had actually fallen from and finding yourself still alive. Um, but I'll come back to that in a minute because I understand that in between this breakup with the girlfriend and then patching up to some extent this relationship that went so wrong, uh, you did actually have an experience yes. of the gospel in some way. How yeah. did that happen? Oh, man, thank you so much. Um because I was going to have to backtrack if you didn't bring that up. Okay. So when her and I broke up the first time, you know, I didn't have a lot going on for me. And, and a buddy that I had worked with, he came to me and he was just like, hey, man, I'm going to this men's Bible study. You want to come with? Like, are you ready to accept Jesus? Hmm. You know, God bless him. You know, he 
for a long time when I worked with him would start preaching Jesus to me. And I'd be like, you know what, man, that's cool. If that works for you, that's <laughs> But he never gave up on me. So he brought me to this men's Bible study. How come you agreed to go? You know, something told me it was the right thing to do. Hmm. You know, something in my heart was like, this is it. This is the right thing to do. Like somewhere in my spirit, in my heart, like I believed who Jesus said he was. Is that because this particular chap had given you the gospel? So you got some understanding from him? Well, you know, what's very interesting is I think a couple of years before that, I actually watched The Passion of Christ. And, um... Yeah. Yeah. And that movie came into play in the hospital for me. So, you know, I saw the passion and I understood who Jesus was like that movie helped me understand who he was. But you know what? There was something always in my heart. It's crazy because it was never explained to me. It was never told to me. It's like the gospel was already in my heart. It's like the Lord was already in my heart and Mm. and all that stuff gave me great clarity. So I knew, I knew who Jesus was and I knew what he was capable of. And, and so at this point when I was kind of in my rock bottom, I'm like, yo, man, let's do it. Let's go get saved. That's what we're doing. We're going to go get saved, right? This is what we're doing. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know what? Fine, God, have your way, you know? And <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so did you accept Christ then on the first Bible study that you went to? Yes. So, right. well, that was, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what happened yeah. was we were sitting in this room and AC's on full blast. You know, there's like 10 or 12 of us guys and I'm in here and I really don't understand the depth or the dynamic of what I'm about to really do in, in the spiritual realm and in the kingdom of God, you know, and, mm. and I'm sitting there and I'm holding these guys' hands and, and they're starting to pray over me. And um, all of a sudden I'm starting to shake. I have nothing to be afraid of, right? Like this is, you're praying over a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm shaking and it's cold in that room and, and all of a sudden I'm breaking sweat and I'm like, what is this? You know, it was something that just wasn't natural, nothing that I've ever experienced before. Yes. And that day I had received Christ. And a lot of times I think back like, you know, what if I had never done that before I jumped out that window? Yeah. It's something I think about, but at the same time, I always feel like God was in my life. I mean, he knew how my life was going to unfold. I feel like he was always there. That was just me accepting him and taking the opportunity to actually open up his word and get to know him. I think a lot of people might be surprised that you went through that experience of conversion and yet afterwards you threw yourself out of this window. How come? How come you got back into that relationship with a destructive relationship? You are amazing. Like I, oh man, that's a wonderful question. I think what happens is you get back into a place of like, you know, things are starting to change And it's easy to go back to what you know versus the unknown. You know, in my Christian walk, a lot of my faith is based on the unknown. Tomorrow is based on the unknown. It's not scripted like that. Like, you don't know what's going to happen next. And I think I kind of went back into a self-destructive, little more complacent area in my life. And and I think what hit me was that I still had really cared for this young lady. And then I found out what she was doing. And I kind of just turned my back on my new brothers and, and God. And not that I gave up on who he was. Like, I almost tried to be Jesus to this girl, right? Like, well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to save her from the depths of hell, right? Like, I had no. I suppose to some extent, were you copying your friend in the way that he approached evangelism? It's possible. It's possible. He may have passed that on to me. I just, you know, I just, I, I had cared. And so, you know, I well, jumped what in. Was the time, what was the time frame here? You came to Christ. In the, I would say a few months, a oh, couple right, few months. Right. I, I would say a few months. Right. So you, you didn't go through a period then of discipleship, really, where you matured in your faith. I, yeah, my faith was extremely young. So I was still on the like new believer high, right? Like you're just, you're on yeah, this new yeah. pump. 
that's where I was at. I was on this new high and, and it was fun. And, and then, you know, after a few months, it kind of starts to simmer down a little bit, you know, and, but then I found out what I found out. Now, keep in mind, like I was still struggling with drinking alcohol. So that still had a play in my life, even though I was, came to God, like alcohol was still one of those demons that I was dealing with. And, uh, you know, when I found out what she was doing and I jumped back into that relationship, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And I knew that I shouldn't have walked back into it. I made the wrong decision. Well, <laughs> But you wanted to help her, presumably. That, yeah, that was yeah. one of the big things. Of course. Of course. You know, um, and um, whatever led up to that moment, it's just uh, I'm glad that I had kind of gone through the whole getting discipled and all that and, and really receiving the Lord a few months before, because that's kind of what carried me through, you know, almost two months in the hospital, sure. you know, having to put it all out there for the Lord and really talk to him and draw some answers from him, you know? Yeah. Mm. Well, indeed, uh, again, I'm going to come back to, you know, this moment where you're, you're lying on the floor, you're lying on the ground and you're looking up. Um, mm-hmm. You had just, gone head first through this window is it third story yes it should have been your head that hit the ground but something happened what was that correct so um what happened was when i jumped head first out of the window and it was a three-story loft so if you know how lofts are they tend to have the a lot higher ceilings and all that kind of stuff and mm. i jumped head first and my foot had clipped an awning on the way down so the window below right you know, I'm sure that the window slowed down my jump, right? You know, naturally, because that was a still object, you know, and I broke through yep. and my foot clipped and I flipped in the air and my landed on my right arm and completely shattered it. I mean, it was just like taking ice to the ground and throwing it on the ground, right? Just shattered my arm. It was just mangled. Uh, my right wrist was broken. My L2 and my lower back, which is one of the bigger vertebrae right above your hip, to help stabilize you, keep your posture up, was severed in half. It was like cracked right in half, right? And I collapsed my left lung. So I was laying down there, hardly able to breathe. It was really hard to breathe. And you know what? I just opened up my eyes and I saw a broken window and I felt intense pain. Like I don't think... Were you unconscious initially? The only part I truly don't remember was... I remember hitting the glass, but I don't remember flying through the air or maybe even the initial impact, but I know that I wasn't out. I know that like I came to really quickly. I had to have, and uh, the pain got me. The pain is what really shook me, and I'm looking at this window, and I'm just like, why? Like, why, God? Like, how is this? How does this even happen, you know? It's the most horrendous. Like, I can't even begin to describe the intense pain that was shooting through my body with the uh, inability to breathe properly. You say why. You know? A number of why questions that you're asking. What were those? I mean, you've mentioned it, but what were those why questions? Right. Why what? I mean, because you'd, you'd gone through the window. That's why you were on the ground. What, what did you mean by why? Why would you let me live? Why would you allow this to happen? You know? I didn't want to be there, right? Like this, you know, fitness was the only positive thing that I had, really. Right. I mean, I, I had some pretty cool people in my life. Don't get me wrong. Like I had some people that cared. But when, you, when you're a guy that lives in your head and all this stuff has happened to your life and, you you know, you're doing drugs all the time, like all that stuff kind of is irrelevant. So the only thing that I really had 
for me was my fitness. Now that was completely stripped away, right? You're, you're broken. You're beaten. You're just, you're shattered. Um, but why would you let me live? This makes no sense. You know, I don't know why you would let me live after everything that I've already been through my whole life. And I'm sure there was people out there that had a lot worse than me, but I just didn't understand. I didn't get why he would allow me to stick around. Cause I believe that ultimately it was, it's his choice to allow me to stay or allow me to go. Right. So yeah. He allowed me to stay. Were you thinking back? Were you glad to be alive at that point? No, uh, I don't think I was glad until maybe the day after. Maybe mm. you know, because I I knew this too. What came to me was that taking your own life is really not an option. It's not yours to take. It's like murdering yourself, right? Like I didn't give myself life, so I can't take my life. Mm. And. Uh, you know, and I think that was more of a, a little bit of a revelation that I had as I was laying there in the hospital. But I had my own challenges laying in that hospital bed. You know, those cops came to me the very next day and they really, they, they, oh, they handcuffed me to the bed and they said, Mr. Decker, you're under arrest for attempted murder and rape. And then they threw a million dollar bail on me. They handcuffed like, you when your back was broken. Yes. <laughs> Extraordinary. Yes. Because now I'm under arrest, right? Mm. So, yeah, it was like insult to injury. You know, like I had woken up yeah. and, and I'm in the hospital bed after like a eight to 10 hour surgery on my arms, long, all of it. And they come in the next day and I have tubes coming out of my neck and they're pumping medication in me and like, I can't move. I can't, there's nothing I can do for myself. I'm pretty much disabled, right? And the cops come in and, you know, they read me my rights and they shackle me to the bed and they throw 24 hour surveillance on me. They're just like, yep, this cop's going to sit with you until you get better and we can take you to court and take you to jail and all that kind of stuff. And mm. But this period, it was presumably quite a long period that you were hospitalized, cope with all these injuries. Yeah. Um, you had a developing relationship with God during that time. Yes. Um, yes. Where those why questions presumably were filling out, becoming more yeah. <laughs> existentially significant for you. So yes. how did God help you understand the big why about everything of your life and, and you know, what he wanted to do with you? Well, I think first initially it was like he wanted to carry me through the my troubles that I was up against in that moment. I think that the the whys came a little bit later. I mean, not too much further down the road, but it was like initially it's like, okay, okay. we have some things to work on, right? You know, you and I, we need to get you – first of all, we need to get you walking. We need to get these charges dropped. You know, there was other things that had to take place first before mm. he gave me that sensation of like you're going to use your life. And everything that you've been through, the drugs and the alcohol and the abusive relationships and the challenging upbringing, like all this stuff, we're going to use that to help other people. But in the meantime, like I need you to heal. I need you to heal physically, emotionally, spiritually. I need you to heal. And I'm going to walk you through that process. And there was no better time and place than me being broken and I couldn't go anywhere to do. Like I couldn't go go to the gym and distract my mind or go get into a relationship and distract that. No, I'm stuck in a bed. Like you're shackled. You and I, we're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You are shackled to God. Right, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, what was your actual experience of God like in that situation? Was <gasps> it a, a voice in your head? Were yes. you conscious of God's presence? Yes. So this is my favorite story to tell. This is my favorite interaction with God right here because this goes beyond anything I can truly explain. Like even when I explain it right now, it's probably going to be so watered down compared to, okay. to what really happened. But I was laying in the hospital 
And I remember, you know, you're hearing the air machine, you're hearing the, the heart rate monitor, pain medications pumping through. So you're hearing the noise of that. You have a police officer, people on the intercom, the lights are bright, right? Nurses in and out of the room. And there's just so much chaos in the hospital, you know? Yeah. And I look up and I'm like, Lord, why? This was like really my, my last why. And instead of giving me a why, he blessed me with this. All of a sudden, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, this calming, soothing, peaceful feeling came over my body. And my eyes closed. Everything got dark. Everything got quiet. And I hear this small, still voice. You know, keep in mind, I'm medicated. There's nothing like my mind can't create this. Like you get numb with drugs, but this, the clarity of what had just happened or was about to happen was just indescribable. He tells me, you will walk again. The charges will be dropped and all your bills will be paid. And I doze off into this like vision or this dream of myself playing soccer. And I'm not a soccer player, never really played the game, wasn't really a fan of the game. And that came to fruition later, that whole vision. And when I woke up, the pain was back. The cop was there. (laughs) You know, the lights were bright. The sounds of the hospital were there. You know, like it was all going again. But I had this moment, this really peaceful moment where he spoke into me and I would tell you maybe within a day or two, the police came into my room and looked at me and said, Mr. Decker, we are dropping the charges. And uh, that was the first prophecy or promise that came to life after I had heard that small, still voice. So she had dropped the charges against you, Well, the allegations against you. You know, in all honesty, I don't know what happened. I, I know this. Okay. That after that first day when I was in that bed, this cop, he wasn't happy to be there. Trust me, he had much better things to do than hang out with some guy that can't go anywhere, right? He was heated. <laughs> right, sure. You know, he didn't like it, and he was reading the police report. And in that police report must have said a lot of gnarly things about me, a lot of bad stuff. And the cop starts drilling me, right? He just like, he's giving it to me and I'm overwhelmed. I'm just like, as if this whole experience isn't enough for me, right? He's like, you know, what happened, Mr. Decker? And and I'm like, you know what, sir? I've made a lot of bad choices in my life, but that's not one of them. If anything, I did whatever I could do to care about this girl. And that's all I know. And I started to break down crying. And I remember the nurse comes in and she's like, Mr. Decker, you're going to have to calm down. Like, cause they don't want your heart rate monitor to fly off the charts. And so with all that, like all of a sudden out of nowhere, this young lady and her sister walk into what is close to my room. We can see her. She's wearing sunglasses. She had got a weave. She had lengthened her hair. Like she was almost kind of hiding in plain sight concealing her identity without concealing her identity. And the cop looks up and you just see a switch in him. He's just like, huh? (laughs) From what I just read and what I see right now, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, maybe she dropped the charges. Maybe the cop went back and said, hey, 
this absolutely makes no sense considering what he's being accused of or what she's accusing him of. I don't know. I don't know what's said. I'm just grateful <laughs> and thankful. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I suppose it's possible that she did feel sorry for you having gone through this. this possibly. I, I, possible. I don't know. You know, that's the last time I ever saw her. I've never spoken with her. Mm. You know, she gave a couple different stories to my friends. One of the versions was, I asked her to marry me. She said no. I couldn't take it, so I tried to commit suicide. I think that was one of the stories. Okay. <laughs> one of my buddies, yeah, yeah. My buddy's like, yeah, I talked to her on the phone. This is what she says, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, man. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how, how long were? You, how long did you? How long are you in this situation recovering? Well, I was in the hospital for roughly six weeks, and and I think it got to the point where the hospital no longer wanted to take care of me. You know, we need to get you out of here, like. Because what else can they do with me? I spent six weeks in there. And actually, after the first week, when they finally let me go, when they finally dropped the charges, you know, finally, I was allowed to have visitors. Um, I couldn't have visitors because, you know, there was police there. I was basically incarcerated. So you can't just have people show up. And so mom shows up. You know, she walks in the room and she's bawling her eyes out, you know. And, and I had already know what the doctors told her. She told me that the doctor said that I was never going to walk again and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and at this point, I couldn't. Did you share with her what you'd been told in the vision that you had? No, I didn't share anything with her. No. Um, you know, it was crazy because at this point, like my mom and I had a really shoddy relationship. The last conversation I had with her wasn't a good conversation at all. It was actually very like unson unmomish right like it was a very unfavorable conversation that had happened so the, our last conversation was pretty bad so you know my mom comes and she sees me and she sees the state i am in and and here's another god moment for you uh you know the nurses come in my mom knows well she believes i'm never going to walk again because that's what the doctors tell her and the nurse is like we need to get you to try to get up on your feet we just want you to try to get up on your feet and uh in that moment I realized, you know, my mom's here. I got to do this for her because I'm, I'm looking at my mom's face. What my mom did tell me, though, was she came to me and she said, you know, son, I just wish it would have ended. I wish you didn't have to suffer the pain in this world anymore. And I understood where she was coming from. She didn't want to see her baby, her baby boy, her firstborn struggle anymore. She didn't want to see the pain that I was constantly going through all my life. And she was just like, I wish it had ended for you. With that being said, Nurses come in, my mom's there, and I'm like, I have to get on my feet. And this is where the Passion of Christ came in again. And I remember Jesus carrying his cross, getting whipped and beaten and spat on and insulted. And I was like, if he can endure that for me, I can try standing up for my mom. I can do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I tried, and it sucked, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was a miserable experience because I felt like my body hit the concrete all over again, and the nurses ran over, and they stuck medication in the tubes that were coming out of my neck, and they sat me back down. They're like, he's done. He's out for the count, right? How disappointing. You're supposed to say that you, you walked and you were free from everything. Right, right. And there was water and I walked on that, right? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's a pretty deep story. So, uh, my name's not Peter. I didn't get that opportunity, but, um, but I was willing. I was willing to try for my mom and from, for the Lord. And, and, uh, you know, they, they performed another surgery on me a few days later. Um, I was able to drag my left foot and, you know, the moment I got up and I was dragging my left foot, it was, I was already being a little go-getter. I was like, man, you know, 
you know, I'm not going to live life like this. And, and the nurse was holding me and I'm over here like running off my right leg while dragging my left. And she's like, you need to slow down. I'm already thinking about sprinting. Who wants to walk, right? Like I need to sprint. I need to get to where I need to go and, and I need to be healthy again. And, mm. you know, I so, lost. So, so you were, you were definitely inspired by the vision that you'd had. For sure. Absolutely. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. So had because, that not happened, then you would have given up, would you say? Right. Well, you know, when God spoke into me, when God whispered into my ear and, and I heard that voice and, and then the charges were dropped like right after he said it was going to happen and he said I was going to walk again. Like sure. I, I was renewed. I was like, cool. Like let's, let's do this. So I wasn't concerned with walking. I wanted to run. Yes. <laughs> like let's do this then. I had a long way to go though, man. Like I, I went into that hospital weighing 215 pounds, you know, solid muscle to 160. You know, I, I lost like 55 pounds or something like that. It was a lot of weight. Like I went from being this, muscular athletic looking guy to a very sickly looking dude you lost a lot of your identity that you'd built up that was my identity my physique was my identity but you know the lord made it very clear that he needed to take me out of the world because i wasn't going to take myself out of the world Hmm. you know if this is how we have to spend time together this is how we have to spend time together and he knew i was going to have to go back into the world Sure. You know, um, but did you go back into the world as an alcoholic? Or drug addict? Well, or had those been kicked by your forced period of, of no. being dry? Nah. You know, I think what happened early on was I ended up having to move in with my mom. I had nowhere else to go. And, you know, my mom had her own issues. Like, let's remember what she came out of, you know, and she hadn't addressed a lot of that stuff. And, yeah. and her view and or her relationship of God was very limited too. So, she grew up Catholic and she grew up with a lot of her stuff and, and she more knew of like tradition and law and rules versus like relationship. Right. So her identity with all that was kind of skewed. So, you know, here you have like two people chasing their tail under one roof and, you know, my mom was struggling with her own addictions and my mom was taking my pain medication and using that when I needed it. But, you know, I knew my mom's addiction and I guess in a way I enabled that addiction, but you know, she would give me alcohol in return. So, I mean, with all the pain that I was in, I needed something to numb the pain. I prayed a lot and I actually asked God um, early on that, you know, you take alcohol away from me. I know that I shouldn't have it, but I'm a weak man and I keep running back to these types of things. And he eventually did. It just wasn't this early on because I've been sober for more than five years now. Um, right. This happened about five years ago, did it? Oh, this happened like 10 years ago. It took me about almost five years just to function as a normal human being again. Right. Yeah. And then I was able to get off the alcohol and I mean, my life has skyrocketed ever since. Like it's insane how well well I've done, but you know, living with my mom, you know, there were struggles and there were battles and there was still drinking and, but I was going to church. I was reading the word. My friends were coming to visit me and they're praying with me and praying for me. And slowly but surely I started getting better. You know, I would read scripture and it would just pop out at me certain things. And and they were mostly hope scriptures, you know, and perseverance build character. You know, you're just like, man, you know, I need to toughen this out because this is going to build me as a man and, mm-hmm. and it's going to help me get closer to God. And, but you, you go back and forth, you teeter back and forth because you're getting pulled a couple different ways, you know, and, and I'm in an environment that's not the healthiest, well, right? All those things that you were told during that vision, mm-hmm. did they all come to pass eventually? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I was walking in. Yeah. 
the charges were dropped. Uh-huh. I've had over $2 million worth of surgeries, physical therapy, payment. And like, I haven't had to pay any of it. Uh, the, the state, from my understanding, covered all that kind of stuff. And so I was fortunate enough to not have to pay like over $200 million worth of hospital stays and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. So that came to pass as well. As far as the vision is concerned, my wife's a soccer player, so I think that may have had something to do with it. But I think what the Lord was showing me on top of it, because you know, you know how he rolls. It's not going to be that simple all the time. He's going to give you a lot, right? Um, he showed me that I was going to be extremely active. I mean, if you've ever watched the sport of soccer, you know, the, the best guys are the guys that can run around all day on that big field, right? And, and there's skill involved on top of all that stuff. And, and he was showing me that, you know, I was going to be extremely active again. And, I was, you know, I mean, to this day, no, I'll be 40 in, in May, but I'm running, I'm jumping, I'm sliding, I'm diving, I'm hitting, like I'm, I play softball, I play competitive softball and, and I'm lifting weights and, you know, I'm doing all these things, a healthy body guy, like a guy who never had surgery. I'm doing things that a bunch of 25 year old guys aren't doing. Right. So yes. So all those things came to pass. What? I'm just thinking of what medical opinion would say about your case. Were you a, were you an extraordinary case? Well, you was. I'm going to tell you something kind of funny. So I was actually riding my bike. I got to the point where I was going to the gym all the time. So initially when I started getting back into working out, because the Lord was like, you know what? You need to work out. This is what you need to be doing. And I remember I'd work out and for four days I couldn't get out of bed because I was so trashed from the healing of my body, the plus the workout. And that turned into three, turned into two, turned into one. And I remember at some point I decided to start riding my bike to my doctor's appointments and I was gaining weight again. I was lifting weights. I was getting strong. And my, my doctor looks at me, he goes, what is going on with you? You look like you're putting on some muscle. And I'm like, yeah, God is good, man. <laughs> I'm doing all right, you know, and, and, and I was getting muscular and I was getting in good shape again. And, and I had gained like maybe 25 pounds of muscle, right? Um, cause I still had that hard work ethic. Like I, I still pounded it when I was in the gym. I mean, best part. So he looks at my situation and he sends me to a psychologist at Stanford University in Palo Alto, Northern California, right? To figure out what's going on with me. Like, all right, well, I want you to see this guy right here. Like, and I'm thinking like, dude, I'm probably that guy that you should have at your neurosurgeon meetings. Like, yo, I did this for this guy, right? Look at him. He's made the ultimate comeback. But instead, it's like, nah, we're going to see if that head's right, man. <laughs> I'm curious to see if you're injecting something to get bigger muscles because that's what I want to know. <laughs> you're a research subject. I'm interested. Right. Yeah. You're a lab rat. Right, absolutely. So I'm thinking like, okay, so he sends me, and that was quite an invigorating experience on top of itself. But like, But yeah, I think medically my doctor had told me, you know, you will probably always be medicated. At best, you'll probably get to go grocery shopping. You know, pulling cereal boxes off the shelf is probably all the lifting you'll get to do. But as far as getting under a bar or playing sports or, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's not something that was really something that they had. Have you made a complete recovery? Do you take medication? Oh, for sure. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. I don't do anything. So it is a complete recovery? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. Wow. You know, even when I was on the medication, like the medication was there, 
to help me get through those stages of pain and healing and development. But at some point I was like, yo, Lord, like I need to get off this medication because I know long-term what it does to my body. You know, it's not good for the human body. It numbs or or band-aids one area, but it's also destroying a bunch of other areas. And I knew that, right? Mm. Plus they're extremely addictive too. Mm. You know, it's like heroin in that stuff, man. Mm. You know? You said that you were, you know, sharing with your physician that God had done this. I mean, did you find that you you were able more freely to share your faith because of all this? Well, you know, it's funny. This whole process of getting better, you know. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, here's the best part. And I love the guy. He's amazing. And he was a big help. And he tried to be there for me as much as possible. You know, he was a Jewish guy. Uh And so, like, him and I had that conversation, like, like he wasn't, you know, the fan of Jesus, Jewish guy, right? He was just like, oh, that guy, Jesus was an extraordinary man. Like he did some things, right? Like he, yeah. he kind of went against our people, but whatever, you know, like it was never a bashing thing. It was just some conversation that him and I, because he had married a Catholic woman. So it's just like, well, you know, you got a bunch of religions going on here, right? Like with a <laughs> bunch of different ideologies. So it's just like, oh, how deep are we into this stuff? And and what is our knowledge really like? But um, but he was impressed by you? Right. Uh, I don't know if he was impressed. I, w- I would hope so. I would hope that, you know, he saw the love of God work in my life and how, mm. you know, you can come back from something so, so dangerously. You know, this story is so deep and so complex. Here's something that's beyond crazy. So my best friend's uncle, him and I share the same birthday. On that day, we both fell from about the same distance, broke the exact same vertebrae, went to the hospital at the same time and had the same neurosurgeon. And it's just like, right? (laughs) And it was like, right? It's like the freakiest, like freaky Friday, like something you'd only see in a movie type stuff. But you know what? God was showing me in the midst of all that. He took two people in similar situations, like same injury and everything, right? Mm -hmm. One of us walked with him. The other one did their own thing. From my understanding to this day, he is not a healthy guy. He still deals with a lot of pain. He struggles a lot. Where myself, it's a lot different, right? Like energetic and strong and lively, you know, like I have a, like nothing ever happened to me where him is not the same case. So it's just like even the parallels of the situations that were going on at the time, it's just like beyond freaky. It's like so supernatural. Like you can't make this stuff you know yeah it is a most remarkable testimony um in some ways like that last bit that you were sharing there a bit like a black comedy in some ways <laughs> right <laughs> uh, no but it is it's crazy it, yeah it, but i mean it is remarkable and the reason why you've come on is not simply to share the dramatic nature of it but i mean you no. you you want to share the truth of God's existence and yes. the fact that, well, a number of things about God. I mean, the, right. I, mean I, I don't want to speak for you, right. but various things come into my mind, not only the existence of God, but the fact that he wants to have this loving relationship yeah. with us as his people, right. but also that he can turn things around. Something that seems incredibly hopeless to turn it into something that is right. totally transformative, dark to light. I mean, yes. well, how many lessons would you want to list from such an experience? Wow. You know, I think the greatest overall experience really is, uh, you know, trusting in him. I think in this whole process with every obstacle that I've been up against, the same message is keeping my hope and my trust and my faith and my love in him. Um, because he's the one that will, will get us to the next place. I look at, 
what man does. Like man, we always have to have an answer for something like, you know, it's man that's going to boost you up and man that's going to shut you down. But with God, it's different. You know, God's just like, hey, follow me. Don't listen to them. Follow me. I'll take you to the next place and the next place and the next. And you know how freeing that is? Like he's given me a sense of freedom uh, that man can't give me or, or experiences outside of God just can't give me. He gives me freedom. You know, people will say, well, you know, religion or Christianity, it's slavery. Like, ah, you don't know what slavery is. Like, there is physical slavery and there's mental and spiritual slavery. And he has freed me from that slavery. And he's built me up to the point where like, hey, you make the moves, father, point the way. I'm good. I'm rolling with it. And he creates things for me that I can't even fathom in my own mind. Like I can try to create the life that I want for myself. And that's pretty stressful. If you've ever tried creating something for yourself, that could be very stressful. But with him, it's like, eh, you know what? Let's worry about now. And I'm going to watch you open up those heavenly doors and pour out all your blessings from, from heaven. And, and I'll receive them because I'm selfish like that. <laughs> I will take them all and I'll eat them up and I'll, you know, but I want to share those blessings. Mm. You know, my whole drive in all this is to share with the world what he has shared with me. Absolutely. You have indeed been in one of the darkest places I've ever heard of, really. Um, and yet, when you were in that situation, you were given this hope. Yes. And it proved to be real. Yes. So I can imagine there are people listening now who you know, will be in some kind of situation which they feel is hopeless. Right. You have a message that the same God is available to them. Absolutely. You know, he's right there. You know, he just wants you like a loving father, like, Dad, I love you. Uh, I know that you want what's best for me. I'm not always going to understand your methods because you're greater than anything that my mind can even put together. But I want what you have for me because I know that you only have great things for me. And if that's the message that I could share, like that's a real situation. I couldn't tell you 10 years ago that I would have such a beautiful wife with an amazing son and a great job. And, you know, now I'm, I'm off in this world and this world is a pretty dark place at times too. And, and sharing the light and, and my drive isn't my drive. My drive is from something so much greater than myself. And that's all glory to God. Like that's all him. That's all Jesus. That's, that's carrying the cross. No, how, no matter how painful it is, just to know that there's something much greater on the other side and that you're dying to yourself to help other people, you know, um, that's powerful. You know, that's powerful to know a God and a father that amazing, you know, you grow up and your parents are supposed to teach you love and trust. But what taught me love and trust is God. He taught me that, right? Those were lessons that he gave me because he never let me down. And as you said, right at the beginning, you weren't taught that. It didn't come from any source that you can no. really identify. No. But he was he was kind of with you yes. from the beginning. Yes. But you didn't recognize him in a personal way. No. It took something like that to bring that out of you. Right. And when you hit that point, you found that he was there in an incredible way. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, and, and that little faith that was in my heart from the very beginning yeah. just deepened and grew and with every day that passed and every experience, it just became more and more real. Well, Rob, thanks ever so much for sharing this with us. A tremendous, tremendous story, a true story. And uh, yes. 
I'm really grateful to you for contacting me to speak about this because obviously I didn't know how this interview was going to go. I mean, to some extent, I thought, well, this is a deeply personal matter to be discussing with you. I do wonder how it is going to go. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, I'm really, right. really happy with the way that we've connected here and uh, that you've shared so deeply about your experience. And I think people will have found that very helpful. Um, and enlightening. And maybe there will be people who will actually find, you know, a, a closeness in God kindled by what you say. I do hope so. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, and my experience with you has been amazing. And I, I, you just asked all the right questions and allowed me to touch on things that I, I haven't had a chance to touch on in, in other speaking opportunities. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. You're very kind. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. And my apologies for the many clicks on Rob's side of the recording in that particular interview. Funnily enough, I wasn't actually aware of them at the time. Um, I don't know if they were audible while we were actually speaking or whether they just appeared on the recording for some reason afterwards. I'm, I'm really not sure. I did try to get rid of as many as I could when it came to the editing, but as you will appreciate, there's a limit to what I can achieve with that. Some of the clicks I can just remove completely without affecting what's being said, but others, of course, I have to leave in because they're too embedded in the words that are being spoken. So as I say, my apologies for that if you did find that irritating. But if you did, just remember that I found it even more irritating trying to get rid of them. Um, once again, a big thank you to those of you who have donated to The Mind Renewed, and a special thanks to those who have kindly set up recurring donations. I am most grateful to all of you. I won't name you. You know who you are. You really do keep this show on the road, and it's a wonderful feeling now to be officially in the black with this podcast, and now even going forward into the rest of 2018. So... Again, thank you to all of you who have made that possible, and indeed who are continuing to make that possible. But let me add, of course, that's not the only way of contributing to TMR. I remain grateful to those of you who have helped out with transcripts of interviews and proofreading, and those who are continuing to support me faithfully over the years in that endeavour. Thank you very much indeed for your many, many hours of work. And of course, those of you who've uh, shared the show in various ways, uh, giving ratings and reviews on iTunes, this is all very much appreciated. I know that I don't mention it much. Uh, maybe I should. But please don't take my rare mentions of all this as uh, my taking any of this for granted. I, I don't. I am very grateful. And when I see you know, a review, a rating, it does in fact brighten my day um, in what I'm doing here. So again, thank you very much. A message for those of you who are new to The Mind Renewed. Um... Now, I've said this a number of times over the years, but I say it again from time to time. Of course, this is one of those times. Um, there are always new people joining the TMR audience. If you are new to this, please do go and check out the archives at TMR. This podcast is not really about commenting on the latest events. Now, there are some interviews that are like that, of course. But by and large, it is more about the building up of an archive of explorations, stroke investigations of various subjects that are not not really that time sensitive. Um, many of the programs, I think, are as relevant today as they were when they were first produced. I mean, just for example, uh, the interview that I did with Dr. Daniela Ganza on Operation Gladio, I think it would be virtually the same if I conducted it now as it was a few years ago when I did, in fact, speak to him. And I'm probably not going to cover that subject again in that way. 
another one would be the resurrection interview with dr gary habermas it's a one-off i shall not invite him to speak about it again uh, because tmr has done that um it's there in the archive so please do take the time to visit the archive which you will find of course at themindrenewed.com go to the menu bar and then to the topics tab and then there'll be a drop down menu and you'll see the various series that we have going on there lastly in about three weeks from now i'm going to be heavily involved in a house move not our house move at least not yet but the house move of my elderly parents who are coming up north from dorset to lancashire to live near us now at the moment they're about 250 miles away which makes it very difficult for us to help in any way and my mum does increasingly need help these days because my dad is really quite frail um so after a lot of thought they've decided to come and live as near as possible to us and as it happens that is going to be incredibly near because we're going to be moving too soon after to be right next to them but uh, more of that later um however i am going to be substantially involved in their move so there will be implications for the podcast of course now not a break i'm hoping um but perhaps some slightly different programming i'm not quite sure what yet but i may take the opportunity to do a few unusual things over the next several weeks I may do a guest episode, of course, which I do every now and again. I may actually do a sort of diary podcast, inviting those of you who are interested in uh, how things are going with the move um, to listen in. Um, the odd interview, of course. Other ideas, I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about that. But a slightly different feel, I think, for The Mind Renewed during March and maybe into April as well. Anyway, that's it. Just a few items there of news. Um... I hope you enjoyed this interview with Rob Decker, and I, I once again apologise for those clicks. I did everything I could to get rid of as many as possible. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, of themindrenewed.com, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. <laughs>